Simple Beep, episode 21, Pixel Doubling with Brian Brasher. Hello, and welcome to Simple Beep, a podcast looking back at the history of Apple and the Mac community. I'm Ed Cormany. And I'm Brian Satorius. And today we're joined by Brian Brasher, a 2D artist to the stars. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. We've mentioned you on our show a couple episodes ago when we talked about the kind of classic Mac icon community. And I specifically remember you under your identity, Ethernaut, but I think you're much more better known uh, today, certainly, as Ether Brian. You are likely the only person that remembers that. In fact, I forgot that I was Ethernaut because it was so such a short amount of time that I was. I think the Icon Factory was my homepage back in those days, and they must have linked to your site uh, just like on one of the days that I was aimlessly browsing around. And uh, it struck me that uh, in the, in, it was around the general time of OS 8.5, I think. And so icons were, you know, millions of colors and translucency and everything was great. And here was this site that was kind of going in the exact opposite direction in what I assumed were, uh, you were making 16 by 16 icons and ResEdit and then pixel doubling them and releasing them. Is that true? Exactly. It's exactly right. I think I was playing one day and I created the 16 by 16 and rather than, I guess I, I don't remember why I created it. It must've been for a purpose. And I drug it to the 32 by 32 space and it automatically sized it up. And I thought, I love this. <laughs> I think everyone else who did that said, Oh, I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> Not me. Uh, <laughs> well, what had happened, I had not been on the internet at the time, I think for maybe six months my internet usage was very spotty. didn't have a lot of money, and I would get on for a little while. I would drop my subscription to AOL. I would uh, try some other services. They weren't very friendly to Mac, so I would be with them about two weeks. And I think I had stopped creating icons as Ichthusian. That's who I started off as. I, I think that was the only name I was. There may have been others, but I dropped all that, and I came back, and I thought it would be fun to come back and, and no one know who I am. And so I did the Ethernet. I think I, where I was working, we had a lot of problems with our Ethernet, and it was just a major headache. And I thought, well, it's always tied into Ethernet, so that became my name. And unfortunately, I don't know if you recall Sarah. Sarah, I forget Sarah's last name. She was Swedish. She had a site that was essentially sort of a hub for everyone who was an icon maker. She was a wonderful person. And so I wrote her, and just as if I'm somebody who's never talked to her before and said, would you mind putting my icons on your site? Well, I made the mistake of using her last name. And she wrote back immediately very concerned that this person she didn't know knew her last name. And then I had to tell her who I was. Mm-hmm. And so uh, my secret wasn't uh, a secret for very long. Like you said, uh, you were making these just in the native res edit editor uh, and you were on a Mac. Uh, do you remember what model of Mac you were using? I was on a Performa 2600 CD. Well, deep cut. My very first smack. Yeah, yeah. It was um, it was a piece of crap essentially. But <laughs> the problem was, it was okay until I put Mac OS eight on it, and that ruined it. It was a terrible machine from then on. It, it could not even boosting the the RAM. It could not handle the OS, and it was awful. Yeah, I think that whole line was pretty maligned by people who were in the Mac community in those days. Well, it was it was better than nothing, and. It was essentially a hobby computer. I had Macs where I worked. I think we were using Quadras at the time. And this was something I could marginally afford, and I wanted to play around with the idea that I may do some freelance. And 
fortunately it worked out. Eventually I was able to buy a iMac. I, I had the original Bondi blue iMac. I think they'd been on the market for maybe three or four months. Finally got one. And that was just, uh, it was like Prometheus getting the fire. I thought, wow, I can't, I can't believe this thing. It was just gorgeous. You could somewhat see through the body. And I thought, this is amazing. And then, of course, in six months, everything that you bought, bought retail, you could see through the plastic, and it wasn't as sexy anymore. Yeah, I know that the, the last piece of Bondi Blue hardware that I have is a couple years ago, I decided to hook up an old Apple Extended Keyboard 2 to my current MacBook Pro. And the only way you can do that is to buy a used uh, iMate adapter. And so you're like going to used sites, used goods sites on the internet to try to get one of these. And then it shows up in, a, in an envelope and it's got like sort of yellowed once upon a time Bondi blue plastic. Yeah, that color's not aged well. It reminds me of certain cars that the Ford Motor Company put out. They were the pea suit green. I think that was probably just earthbreaking or shattering when it came out, but now it's awful. I still have the iMac in a box. I open it, I look at it, I'm thinking, wow, it's it's a nice relic, but I, I'm just so thankful I don't have to go back and use anything like that. Because once you, you I will go from a CRT screen to an LCD screen, it's as if you're looking at a fishbowl. It's bulging out at you, and it, it hurts your eyes to look at it, and you can see every pixel. And to love pixels, now it's hard to look at them. So you mentioned those first couple Macs that you had, and also the fact that your icon design work was going on in ResEdit, sort of as it should be. That was the best tool at the time for those 32 by 32 pixel or 16 by 16 pixel icons. But was there any other software that you were using at the time? Were you doing any other sort of design or graphic work on those earlier Macs? No, well... uh... I was a graphic artist at the time, and when I first started making the icons, I was employed at a newspaper in their uh, art department. And so I did some work, and uh, it was still all just freehand, I believe, but it was all print work. Um, I think the first experiment I ever did to create an icon, I had read, I, I'd seen the icons, the first ones I'd ever seen that really got my interest was, was Gideon from the Icon Factory had a set of folders on a CD that accompanied Mac Attic Magazine. And a co-worker showed me that, let me borrow the CD, and I, I thought it was just wonderful. And I wondered, how did Gideon do this? And it did occur to me to write him and ask him. I was too busy. I was at the library, and one of uh, David Pogue's, uh, whatever he called those books. The Missing Manual? No, they were really big, thick Mac. They weren't Mac Bibles. They had some name. There was the uh, Macworld Mac Secrets. Book. That's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah, Pogue was the editor on that. It was sort of that and the Mac Bible are kind of competing reference tomes for the Mac. Well, that was where the so secret to Rosette it was. And I think the first icon I made, I had, uh, I think I'd drawn a pineapple, a vector pineapple, and copied it into there. And it looked awful. It was completely dreadful, but it was magical. And I, I, I made an icon. And then I figured out that, and no one really told me, I don't think David Pogue said it in his book, that you can actually use the editing tools in there. And that's when I started playing with it. I guess I must have downloaded it at home that night and started playing around and realized, hey, this is this is pretty neat. But that was really no. Uh, there was no other software. I know you could use Photoshop. I remember emailing uh, some one of the guys at eBay, I'm sorry, eBoy. Mm-hmm. And asking him how he was doing his work, did he have some special software to, to create these just enormous canvases? And he said, no, we're using Photoshop. And I said, no, I'm not doing that. Uh, I did use Photoshop later on. I did, a, I think, 
one of the most fun things I ever did with Pixels, there was a guy who was an electronic mu- musician, and he asked me to help him with his site. And a portion of the site, unfortunately it's not online anymore, were these things called freeforms. And he would give me a looping piece of music, and then I would create a web page, and it was all uh, the blown-up pixelated graphics. So in that case, I had to have Photoshop to create these large images to stretch across the, str- the screen, but um, that was really just piecing them together. I didn't really work. I may have dropped a couple pixels here and there in Photoshop, but you could look at it, and I could I could look at it and say, well, I can see every little square I made, and I pieced them, stitched them together, but I don't care. I, I, I like doing it, and it didn't really bother me that people may see that, because I figured most people didn't know how I did it anyway, so they weren't going to cluck their tongues at me. So you mentioned your transition from various online monikers one to the other, and that was sort of a time when you shifted a little bit your design style. But going back to, was it Ichthusian? Yes. The first first moniker online. At what point did you decide, hey, maybe now that I've personally discovered this ability to create icons for myself, and that was a big epiphany, at what point did you say, hey, I should publish these to the wider world? People are going to be interested in these. Well, it was, um, I suppose, after I saw the Mac Attic magazine, I headed to the bookstore and the new issue was out and I grabbed that and I may have bought maybe three months worth. And it occurred to me, I thought, maybe these people will put my stuff in there. And I remember putting together a couple collections of icons. There were some that were supposedly uh, like retro images, say from uh, advertising ephemera, and there were some VW Beatles and there was some other set. Well, I put that together with a lot of other things. I created some desktop wallpaper. I created just some, um, I called it clip art. I don't know what it was now. It was probably something just completely horrible. And I put it together in a big package, and I mailed it on a CD to Mac Attic Magazine. And they emailed me back, and, oh, we love your icons. The rest is a little heavy to put on there. <laughs> and and they, were very, they were very diplomatic about it, and I understood. But they put the, the icons on there. And they just took off, and they, um, I think, I don't, I think I made some more immediately, and they immediately put it on their their disc, and then that snowballed into other magazines picking them up. Now I had it in several Japanese magazines would write me, and essentially that I'll, that I'll ask for permission, I'd say, sure, just send me a copy of the magazine. And I had quite a stack for a long time, but at some point I moved, and I had to throw everything out. So. In those first days, then, you were actually distributing most of your icons, not primarily via the internet? What kind of internet presence did you have? I had the, um, I was a subscriber to AOL, and you had a members.aol.com slash whoever you were page. And I had that page there, but there wasn't a lot of storage, and I was still trying to get my, my mind wrapped around HTML, which I've, I've only barely done all these years, but then it was really bad, and... I put some there, I believe. I don't remember really when I started putting all my sets there, but for a while there, I think my web presence had no icons. I don't know what I was doing exactly. I guess just experimenting. Yeah, I I don't know. Maybe I had about 10 sets out because I did a little thing. I kind of regret it a little bit now. Uh, I put a readme file in there, and I asked, hey, if you like these, you can use them for free, but if you really want to support me, send me $2. And I didn't expect anything. And I would—I I didn't make a lot of money, but over the years, people would mail $2 regularly. Occasionally, some person would say, here's a check for $30. Well, why? 
And then sometimes they would write the check out to Ichthusian or Ethernot, and I couldn't cash it. And so <laughs> I would just save it. Put it up on a bulletin board. I'm trying to think. This was back, this all started back in the mid-90s. I think um, seven or eight years ago, I got one last letter with $2 in it. So that was quite a span of time. That, and I, and I, I felt terrible. I thought, I need to give these people their money back, but it's just $2. Because so many people just kept him for free, and, and that that was okay. And eventually, I think I quit that. I think I, when I got to um, maybe with starting with Ethernot, and then with the Ether Brian sets, I don't think I asked for money anymore. I just um, asked that if you did distribute them, to let me know and don't break up the set. Because I had someone take a set. He was a graphic artist. He had a site that was really nice looking. It had sort of a automotive repair theme, and he took a set that I had that were automotive parts added one icon to it and then repackages it as his own. Oh. And I thought, yeah, you're an artist and what are you doing? And so after that, I, I just sort of made a point. I said, please don't do that. Just give credit where it's due. Well, obviously you're still an artist now and your current online presence really looks like a portfolio. So at what point in your icon creating career or in your artistic career in general did you start to think of these icons that you were making as actually art rather than just a fun little technical hobby on the side? I guess for me to call it art, I'm very uh, difficult on myself. I'm never satisfied with what I do. So to call it art, would, if I did, I feel like I would maybe uh, would be arrogant possibly. Like, look, this is art I'm creating. When I look at other people, I, there's always someone who's much, much better than I am. And so I consider their work as art, and my work is a stage towards that. So rather than me considering it art, I just decided, hey, this is marketable. It's a product. And that's essentially my uh, epiphany was, hey, I could make money on this or make a little bit. I, didn't, I never expected to make a career out of it because I figured you know, everyone figured the newspaper will be around forever. And I have a retirement there if I stayed there. And uh, But... I think the first, the very first project that I was given that I got paid for, I mean, it was, the first one was some individual said, would you make an icon of something, which is lost to, to the midst of time now. I forget what it was. But then Earthlink got in touch with me and asked me if I would make a set of icons for their tutorial software when you installed Earthlink. I was still an AOL customer at the time, and I did the job, and I don't remember how much I made, and then I forgot about it. And a year later, I'm installing Earthlink, and I thought, these look familiar. Hey, these are my icons. And these, of course, were res-edit icons. It was still, the software was still using that, um, that variety. It had not yet. And we may have had 8.5 uh, Mac OS at that time. So the software was a little, still a little behind. But, um, yeah, it's not art. Unless you like it. Unless you want to be art, that's fine. That's great. It's, I, again, I have so much to learn and so much to, so many ways to improve. Well, I think you're really too humble. I think there's a lot of stuff, especially when presented all together as as a set that really looks like a pretty neat gallery. That's the beauty of creating icons is you create a lot. And so you have a mammoth portfolio. And, uh, you know, if you're creating paintings or other things like that, you don't have a big presence. But I've created thousands and thousands of the things. And sometimes I'm surprised I open things up. And some I'm happy to discover, some I'm not. There are things I open up and I realize, wow, this was just a dreadful job, a dreadful outcome. They look terrible. 
and I don't I just throw those away. Uh, so we've already talked about a lot of uh, changes from uh, when you maybe you first started to today. Uh, you mentioned going from CRTs to flat screens, obviously now from like big chunky pixels to smooth retina graphics. Uh, is there any is there any like one single change that uh, strikes you as one of the biggest from those days to today? Yeah, I would say it would be the change to Retina that's come along. Uh, when that was announced from Steve Jobs on at, uh, one of his keynotes, I was working with Iguala. And I think at that point, we had created several hundred stamps. Mm-hmm. And I realized as he was saying that, my heart sank. I'm going to have to create new versions of all of these. Mm-hmm. And 10 minutes after it was over with, the word was, yes, we must go back now and create uh all these at 200%. The problem was, was that so many things you do, and of course it's all vector, but you're doing things that will play with the pixels, that cooperate with the pixels, that look good at that one-to-one ratio. When you increase it by 200%, suddenly you can't leave that there because you can see all your sins are made manifest and you've got to fix them. And so it took a long time to do that. And that's... um. It's a little better now because I guess if you look at my portfolio and you look at the things that were done for last God and maybe, well, maybe Facebook a little bit. They're so much simpler now. A lot of things are. There's a style right now that's um, very few colors and always this either horizontal or somewhat diagonal slash through everything and it divides it into two tones. That's a lot easier to create all the assets at multiple sizes than it is, uh, say, the work I did for Packerat, where I would have to go and take all these 64 by 64 and make 128 by 128. And it would be a nightmare because I did that for my portfolio. When I upgraded my portfolio recently, everything that was for Packerat had to have that done to it. So that took some time. And I was just very thankful that I thought, this is just a small sliver of all the Packerat work, that I'm not doing everything this way. Now, if someone paid me to do it, then I would swallow my pride and I'd just do it. But, but when I'm doing it just for fun, it's not fun. Yeah, so it sounds like you're doing most of your work as vector art now. And you say on your site that you once totally swore up and down by freehand and then eventually became a quick convert to Illustrator once you had tried it out. And I was wondering, especially talking about these discrepancies or the connection or disconnection between vectors and pixels, how did those apps feel on the classic Mac? Was it like it was a struggle to use those vector apps on much smaller screens, much f- many fewer colors, or were they just so revolutionary compared to what else you could do outside of the Mac at the time that you were just happy to have them? When I was using Freehand, I, I didn't use Freehand very long beyond, I think, um, OS 9. I know the, the place I had worked, they, they had thrown out. We, it was a, it's a long story, one of those bean counter kind of just gut-wrenching office-type stories where we don't want to use this application anymore. Though you've been actually required to create art of certain things, we want you to use a page layout and create the art in that when you couldn't. And so that was really, that was the last I really used it very much. But with Freehand, Freehand was made for page layout. And I knew very little about Illustrator. I knew it had Venus by Botticelli. She was in some form or fashion on every icon and every box. And that's all I knew about it. That was it. I opened it once and it was just so alien. I closed it immediately. 
But with freehand, when you created graphics that you then wanted to be used as icons, you you weren't able to really work with it very well. You only had one view, and that was just, you had you had your key line and you had your preview. And so it was, it was just copying and pasting into Photoshop, copying, pasting. That isn't right. What's wrong? And you would just tweak it and tweak it and tweak it. I don't know if later versions of freehand did it or not, but immediately when I got into Illustrator, Illustrator had pixel preview. And so even though I was working in vector, many times I would draw things. Uh, a lot of the shapes and a lot of my more elaborate art are just are drawn pixel by pixel, except I'm, I'm creating a pixel by dragging a box, a one-pixel box. And that was one of the reasons why, I, even though I wasn't making pixel art, I was using pixel techniques to pull this off and to make it just as crisp and clean and clear as possible because it made a difference. And that was the thing about early uh, Mac OS 8.5 and then with 9, people were just copying Photoshop art or maybe it was vector art and dropping it in there and that was their, their icon. And, and it looked that way. It looked like it was just immediately dropped in there. There was no attention given to it to make it work within that sphere. Everything seems a little fuzzy, maybe. Exactly. And because you really, it's just, the computer's doing the best it can to translate into that space. And so when you get into Illustrator and you start working on these things, it's it's wonderful. And it's harder now because you are working with Retina, but before Retina came along, it was very satisfying to finally turn on Pixel Preview, put it at 100%, and just look at just oh, so crisp. You could cut yourself on it by touching it. And uh, that was something I could never do with Freehand. And because Freehand was before this time, it's this strange merging of the pixelated and the vector. Yeah, well, I think that when Adobe got to the Creative Suite versions of their applications is when they decided to really start blurring the lines between those two. Whereas Photoshop is primarily a raster image tool, but it has like almost every single tool in the tool palette that Illustrator does all of the vector tools to create paths and that sort of thing. And then on the flip side, Illustrator has, it's primarily a vector tool, but it has all of these tools where you can go in and almost directly manipulate pixels. So they recognize that, you know, as the name says, it's creative suite. You need both sides, and it's just a question of what your favorite starting point is. It is very confusing because people who do a lot of wireframing for apps and such will swear by Photoshop, but then there will be a few who say, use Illustrator. And because I use Illustrator exclusively, I try to say, look, you can clean things up and move things around so quickly in Illustrator. Why would you be uh, essentially chiseling into stone in Photoshop and then having to go back and get a new stone all the time? Just use Illustrator, but... It's everyone's preference. Some people are just so fast in it, I suppose. But to me, Illustrator is just it, it. I know someone. There's a guy I know. I won't mention his name. He's a pretty renowned artist, and he's um, done some work for Adobe. I think some of their packaging. He just constantly complains about Illustrator. I'm thinking, man, do you realize this is again, again, Prometheus and Fire? This is Fire that Prometheus brought us. What we can do with this thing. I barely use Photoshop. I will sometimes, if I make an animated GIF file, I've dropped some frames into Photoshop. That's it. Because I'm not really, I'm creating what I need. I'm not using photographs. And so Photoshop is parked, this big giant thing with fins and chrome is parked over in the garage getting dust on it. And I'm whizzing around in the Illustrator. Maybe we'll just shift gears a little bit now. So we've talked a lot about your creative process, tools that you've used over the years. But 
one of the things is that obviously you were creating icons not just for other people, but also for yourself. And you mentioned that you were in pretty close contact with other people who were in that interface and icon design community. So when you got your first Macs, were you really heavily into customizing the interface and look and feel of your own Mac? And how did that go? Yes. Wow. I loved it. It was great. I, uh, Kaleidoscope. I made Kaleidoscope themes. And I don't remember. I I know I haven't saved somewhere. And I had one that was very gray with uh, the little Mac purple highlights on things and little, little decorations. And where I worked, that I had that installed. So my my Mac was the odd Mac because it had all these things happening on it that people were like, why does your Mac look like this? Because my Mac is better than your Mac. And I used it a lot. And then I was in, a con- I, I was in some contest. I don't remember what the, what the point of the contest was, but I won several titles of software from Tiger Technologies. They're the guys that had the, uh, the Christmas lights. You could have those. And they had something called, I think it was called Minuet, M-E-N-U-E-T-T-E, in which you change the, the words in the menu to icons. And so file for me was a skull, and uh, edit was a banana, I think, and view was a piece of pizza, and context was an eyeball. Which is, that was also to keep people off my computer, because where I worked during the day, we were, we were pretty hard. At night, we had some part-timers come in. And most of them were just problematic, and they would get on computers and just cause chaos because it didn't work very much, and you'd come back and have to clean up after the next day. So my computer was more difficult because a lot of things were cryptic, and people would just step away. They just wouldn't touch it, and it was great. Was that the security through obscurity? Exactly. Well, it, they were lazy. <laughs> it was easy to figure out. I mean, come on. You just tap it and see what, what drops down, but no, they wouldn't touch it, so they walk away from it, and that was great. But it also was very satisfying. You know, I, I, uh, I went so far, I think, as one day, I don't know why I did it, I opened up some file in, in the system, in system software on the Mac with ResEdit and altered something. I took the loading picture. I think you could probably have gotten software so that rather than having that normal loading screen, you could customize it. I decided just to throw that out and put something else in there. And after I did it, I thought, why did I do that? I'd never gone that far with uh, saving something like that. And it made me a little nervous, but I never had a problem. But, um, yeah, I, I, and I don't really know when it, it stopped. I guess 8.5 was kind of the when, it's, when it all started that you're thinking, this is all going to go away. And it's going to be more difficult to personalize it. It'll be more of a chore. It won't be the joy it was, I don't believe. And I stopped. I think uh, I may have had some things here and there, maybe some. I, I think on one of the CDs I got, one of the Japanese magazines, there were these little uh, the OS tens, the, the little the girls who represent various software and titles. There was one. She's standing by a monitor, the the, the Apple's very first uh, LCD monitor that had the the clear edges. She's standing by that, and it has the time in it. And I thought, okay, I put that up there. And I think that was the very last customization I ever did, which wasn't really customization. It was just a, some software that was constantly running. But after that, it just became, um, I guess I got busier. At that point, I was doing so much more work that you didn't really have time to to do that level 
I I also have a bunch of questions. Uh, we both have a bunch of questions about your body of work because uh, obviously, like uh, that's how I came to know you was through the Ethernet icons, and I'd say I've I've more or less kept in touch with a lot of the work you've done. Um, and you mentioned Packrat, and I just wanted to quickly say that uh, I think Packrat was one of the. It was very early on the Facebook platform, and uh, I think it came out while I was working at Facebook. And I was actually working on the platform and we <laughs> continually held you guys up as examples of like good citizens because you weren't spammy. You're actually fun. You weren't the Armenian spammers. <laughs> yeah. And it was also beautiful. So, uh, and you mentioned that you had to go back and upgrade some of the artwork, uh, for your portfolio was, do you have any, uh, particular memories of, of building that pack rat game or is there any, uh, particular item that you had fun designing? Well, when we, we started that, uh, Working with Josh Williams, it was he and John Marstall. You, I think you mentioned him in your podcast. Of course, he's perfect Yosemite guy. It was just the three of us, and we were still doing client work. And I mean, more people brought on, and then he realized that hey, let's stop doing client work and let's start going after some of this, um, this these other things. So essentially, he said, "Here's what we're going to do. You guys need to illustrate these cards." Well, we had done icons, I guess, but there was something kind of daunting about this illustrating these things, just come up with these concepts. And because uh, I was still relatively new, I think, with Illustrator, I'd been using it, making icons, but nothing this bold. So when I look back, you know, the very first things I did, they're pretty bad. Uh, there's a set that's sort of Wild West. And I look on, I think these are awful. The people's faces are terrible. But I think the really the, the one I enjoyed the most early on, I did a set. Uh, I forget the name. What was the guy's name? It was some little man's pizzeria. <laughs> I forget. Little Tony or Little Freddy. And I made a bell pepper. And when it was done, I thought, I'm a genius. <laughs> this bell pepper is gorgeous. And I think that was when I really started enjoying it at that point. And there have been several times that I think another time we did a set. I did a set early on that was, um, they named it after one of the Muse songs. Supermassive Black Hole. Maybe that was it. I had a follow-up to that a year or two later, and I think that may have been my most favorite thing I ever did because I just did some completely off-the-wall sci-fi things and threw them in there and spent a lot of time on it and had all kinds of light effects on them. And that, I think, was the most satisfying I'd ever done, that one set. I think it's Supermassive Gravatar, that may be what it's called, which makes no sense at all, but it had to have a name. It had to be tied to the previous set somehow. And looking through your portfolio, you've also done and redone uh the emoji set for a couple different clients and uh what has that process been like uh reading through your profile you've done it for facebook uh for htc and uh and i know twitter commissioned their own version uh obviously android and ios have different versions is there anything there that you think like why do people need to feel that they have their their own personalized version or you know like why do you think this work keeps coming up that's a good question. And I, I recently I spoke with someone. I haven't done any work for this person, but there was some talk about possibly their own emoji set. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe it ties it better in with their look and feel. Uh, to be honest, if you're going to talk about the, the original emojis, Apple's emoji, some of them are okay. I've had to, to do a lot of research when I did the set for Facebook. It was the first set I did. I had to look up a lot of these things because it had to be a very comprehensive set, and I got the big, giant version. Some of them must have carried over from some artist in the original Japanese set, but then you had whoever this person is that's done the new ones. Some were great. 
some, maybe it's because they were large, I didn't like them. And no offense to this person, I just didn't care for them at all. Then I met, I saw the ones for Android. Now, granted that Android smileys are very odd. It looks like someone squashed all the smiley heads. Yeah, it's like they're all melting. Yeah, but others in the set, I think are fantastic because they're just so energetic, I guess. Um, the foods and some of the animals, I just love them. I don't know why. And I had to reference those when I did the HTC, which was, that was a little dis- disheartening because um, I thought these are so wonderful. And I'm making something that's a lot more sterile, uh, a little more stiff. But that's what they wanted to fit with their look and feel, essentially, that they were. Um, I think HTC was putting their own version of Android, putting whatever the skin on it, and they wanted the emoji to work with that. And I, I have never seen it in action. I think I one day went to Google Images and found one image of that. So I assume it is being used, but I honestly don't know. I've never touched an HTC phone, so I, I have no idea. Well, I have an Android tablet now, and I, I, I occasionally will look at the, you know, the the keyboard. The emoji are huge on there, and I like to just just to look at them. Mm-hmm. I don't use them, but I look at them. In these emoji design projects, how different is designing a set of emoji from designing a classic icon set? In particular, like with these different takes on the same repertoire, how do you make sure that you're, you have a theme that covers everything from smiley faces to eggplant to <laughs> buildings and everything in between? It is difficult. It is very difficult, especially if they make them very simple, because um, if you notice with the Facebook icons or emoji icons, and then gets interchanged. They all have a certain have a stroke around them. A stroke has a graduated thing, but there are a few things there that you can't do that. Deep within Facebook's emoji is a bikini, and there is no stroke on it because it would just be a huge mess. And so there are a couple that you have to break the rules, and it, it kind of makes your skin crawl a little bit because they don't seem to fit. I think once you get past, if you get through the smileys, those always seem to be first. And if you get some of the foods, then you can you can figure it out. And it's it's not for me. It's not difficult to do that once I, I get it rolling. The problem I face is if I move to another project, and then I have to go back, and then I have to tell myself, "Now you could do this before. Don't let yourself down. Now you've got to pick this back up again." And sometimes it takes a little while to get your mind wrapped back around this whole. How do I use this particular style and make this look the best? Not might look look crappy because sometimes you have to you have to break the rules. Sometimes sometimes you don't add a stroke. You have to you do certain things that. You may be breaking a rule, but it doesn't look like you're breaking a rule because you want to look right. And that works great if you don't stop. And once you stop and come back, then you have to struggle a little bit. Some of the other objects in the emoji set are kind of the things that I feel like we thought a lot about more in classic icon design. Your files, folders, documents, computers, peripherals. Right. But they kind of don't seem to be the primary focus of emoji. Like you said, you know, get through the faces, get through the food, and then the rest will follow. So um, how do you feel like the design for those kind of things has gone? And uh, did you pay like a lot of attention to those sort of system icons back in the classic Mac days? And did you feel like you had a little bit more to lend to them in the modern day? You know, really, I don't think uh, if I referenced the old the old icons, it may have been just 
because they were in my mind. They were a part of me. I'd done them so many times. I didn't really, I didn't give them much thought, really, I don't think, when I was doing folders and things of that nature because they were such a small portion of the greater. I don't, and usually you don't get to those. You know, these, these odd things that no one's, I, I doubt anyone's going to use um, some of these camera icons and, and a disc. I guess people still do. I know people, this, the struggle for mankind has come up with a new icon for save other than a disc. <laughs> but you don't get to that until you've done probably 300 or 400 icons. And so when you get to those, you just say, okay, here's another subject, run it through this style and get it out. And sadly, uh, you know, my, my mind never went back to the uh, system icons at all. Did you enjoy the making system icons in the classic Mac OS or were there other people who made those kind of icons who were favorites of yours? Well, I think I made some system. When I made system icons, it was just specifically from a kaleidoscope scheme, schemes, um, and not schemes, themes. No, they were, they were schemes. Well, I was scheming with them. <laughs> I didn't do it a lot on my own, and that was something I didn't care much about, I guess. When it came to customization, I just liked seeing people creating the art. I think it, it, it stepped away from having a direct connection of being usable, even though people did use them. Because when I create a set, I would open the window and I would have them arranged the way I wanted them to look. So to me, that was a product. It was seeing them in this pleasing arrangement, not even thinking about someone's going to pull just one out or two out and do something with them. And so system icons didn't really fit in there. Unless someone did something really fun, really crazy with them, I didn't, I didn't really care. Because once I did the kaleidoscope, then, then I had my system icons, and anything I collected and, and looked at and enjoyed were all just objects and themes, you know, uh, because everyone had the themes. I, I'm, I'm thinking now of Iron Devil and his sets that were just wonderful, and Dave Brescala and uh, Mosco Garage, those three were my favorites, and so I didn't really, and I didn't even use them necessarily. I just had them and would look at them, and I wish I could do that. And kind of along a similar vein, a lot of your other work, uh, especially Gowalla, was creating badges, or not quite emoji, but uh, definitely a set of pictograms that would represent locations or activities. And uh, so kind of a similar question, uh, like, did you ever have to think about, like, style first and then, uh, like, characteristics of the location second or the other way around? Was there a process to approaching things like that? I think most of that was style more than anything else. Uh, a lot of Gowalla, we, I was tasked with just here. We, here's what we're going to do, and I want to have these stamps, and let's come up with some shapes, and and then suddenly we had stamps, and then now make these other things, and make them match. So yeah, it was um, unfortunately it, was, it was, wasn't really anything particularly scientific about it. It was just we just developed this style. Let's try to carry it over. Um, uh, highlights were something that came to Gowalla later on. And they were the real small things that you could apply to a place. So this is where, you, where your first date was or where you got a good taco. And so they had to look like the art that existed, but they weren't necessarily. They, they couldn't have, they were so small, they had, and they were going to lay in an area of the user interface that they didn't need to be a sticker per se. So uh, you had to make them feel like they belonged, even though they weren't going to be encased in some particular cathedral radio type shape, like all the stamps were. But at that point, I, I, I guess a, part, a lot of it has to do, I guess, with the artist himself and 
or herself and the style that you have because you do so much of that that you just start um, you think in that style and everything comes out and it looks like it and so you're not really something of that level that we, we that we created with Gawala it was essentially trying to mimic real life and if it didn't look like real life it was because it was our mom's shortcoming or someone else's shortcomings and so you were essentially just doing that you were going through that motion of Here's something, and here's what I do to try to mimic the reality of this thing, but within these constraints of snapping to pixels and within this within this size. And so, when it came around to the um, the highlights, I had a lot of sh- a lot of shorthand that I used to uh, uh, like for the gleams and the, sh- and the shadows and certain effects, and I just applied it to that, and it just so happened they looked the same, which I felt kind of bad because, and, and it's a kudos to the other two for for. Um, John Marstall and Alan Defabo, who was working there at Gowalla before its demise, they were both having to create these stamps, and they had to essentially follow what I had done beforehand. Mm-hmm. And of course, they did great, but I kind of felt bad. I thought, well, I'm glad that's not me. I'm glad I'm not someone not handing me someone else's work and say, mimic this, because that's difficult. And they did fine. I'm not sure I could have done the same. <laughs> uh, one more thing along those lines. Uh, so you talked about how you know, like your style your personal style became evident in things like the highlights. Did you ever insert like an Easter egg in the form of content? Like you wanted to make sure a certain <laughs> highlight or a certain badge got in there because it's, it's something you personally enjoyed. Yeah. I think, um, Graceland finally got a Graceland stamp because I had never been and I wanted to go and I wanted to have stamps so I could check in when I got there on Gowalla. And so fortunately I was able to finagle Graceland to, um, have it stamped. So when I got there, I didn't really have anything hidden per se. I think I tried a few things. I had them and they got kind of shot down. I guess if you're familiar at all with last and that was the no pun intended last place I worked full time a little bit. It, it, well, we had the official announcement came. Josh made an announcement last week that it's officially, it it was an experiment that didn't succeed, but we did a lot of uh, location type work, a lot of art that was going to be different areas. And I would try to sneak things in. The biggest thing I tried to sneak in constantly was we had major cities we were working with. And for London, I kept putting a TARDIS in there. And it was never very obvious because the style was very simplistic. But I thought, if you know what a TARDIS is, you see that TARDIS. If you don't, you don't see it. But, of course, no one's got to see it now. So I need to put some of that up, I suppose, to my, my adventures with the doctor through uh, digital art, but yeah, that was about it. Um, and I'm big on and skulls and stars and there's certain little things that I just like to draw and I like to stick in there. They don't have a lot of meaning. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. And I would try to sneak things in like that. Um, when we were, uh, the early days of working with Josh and working with John was the Akam buffet. And we had a lot of sets they sold that covered a lot of the a lot of system level things, but things that would be normal that you would just, you would see on someone's web page. And we decided to open a little club. I forgot what they called it, and we started creating just sets of random things. And obviously, I started gravitating towards things that were on fire and things that had eyes and things that were skulls. But of course, they were in these different styles. All these little extra sets were in the styles of the main sets, all named after cities. And I think Shanghai was one. Very bubbly, very cartoony that I did. And I had a set that was, I think it was Shanghai Psych Out. And flaming skulls, flaming eyes, winged eyes, winged skulls. 
And um, just sort of like um, if Mickey Mouse got a tattoo, that would be the tattoo he got. One of my last questions about your content is uh, obviously, again, I was a, a fan of yours through Ethernaut. And other than the Internet Archive, there's not a, a whole lot of it <laughs> left for download. Um, uh, so I guess some of it's just been lost to time. Is there anything that's not like very easily accessible through your, your portfolio that you remember being particularly proud of? There were a few of the icon sets. Near the end, there were some that I thought were... There was one I think was called Ico Diodes. And that, I think of it, maybe because of its, it being so elusive, because I can't find it now. I had a virus hit the iMac once, and I lost a lot of things. And they may have been backed up onto disk, but I haven't found them yet. I haven't looked actively in a long time. That was a set, maybe one or two others, that I can only barely remember them, but just remember them being interesting i it was a different direction i was taking them i was trying experimenting with things and i thought well i've done this i've done this look so many times let's try something different and i think i enjoyed those and i i guess i i'm a bit of a contrarian i near the end before 8.5 as it was coming over the hill it got kind of got a little weird and i got a little weird with my work i was just sort of i thought i'm tired of creating things that are just run of the mill. I want to create some strange things. And I got a little bit of flack from some people. They didn't like it. I said, what's the matter with you? Are you on drugs? We want you to create the things that we like and we want to expect from you. And I said, no. And that made me even more excited. I guess I almost was excited that they didn't like them. And because uh, it was no big deal. It was for free. And if you didn't like it, you didn't have to download it. And there was plenty of other things. If you like VW Beatles, there's a set I created two years ago. Get that. I'm not going to keep creating VW Beatles. And um, I, I know it was one I got the biggest flack was it was not I was no longer Ethernaut, I don't believe, but I was still doing that same style. And I gave it the name of some Chinese dish at a Chinese restaurant, Happy Family something. And it, it, it made no sense. And all the icons in there, made, they didn't go together. They were just this stream of consciousness. And I really enjoyed that. I don't know if it was a good set or not, but I really enjoyed doing it. And I got hate on that one. One of the other motifs that you mentioned in your art is the skull. You said you made skull your file menu using those classic Mac utilities. And now I think anyone who knows you through Twitter or sees your avatar now, it's a skull with a fez. And I have to ask about the genesis of the skull fez guy and whether this is the only version or if it goes back earlier. My last avatar was a little more modeled. It was along the lines of the work I did for Pac-Rad, I did for Gowalla, and he had a pot on his head. The pot with the copper on the bottom, but it was flipped over for a hat. I did, it, I'm not, I don't smoke marijuana, but everyone thought it meant pothead. And I thought, well, I'm not going to change it now. So I left it. I think that was really the beginning of it. And I just, uh, I, I can think of a statue I've seen since I was a kid. There's a monkey and he's wearing a fez. I don't know where I saw it. I think you could probably, uh, Archie McPhee is a place, a store I really enjoy. They have the, a lot of this just off the wall sort of, uh, hip by hipster, I mean like Cosmo Kramer hipster kind of things. Not hipsters today are in Seattle drinking coffee and conducting websites, but hipsters who don't smell good and, um, uh, don't keep themselves, keep, don't keep their lives very good. They're in disarray. And they sell things of that nature, this uh, kitsch kind of thing. And I'm a big fan of kitsch. And for somehow the, the, the Fez got on there. I, 
I think he got on the skull this time because he'd been on everything else. Um, I was played layer tennis once several years ago, and I created a lot of assets beforehand. So I, I can't create this stuff just from whole cloth as we're playing this out. And there was a fez in there, and the fez ended up on everything. And I thought, yeah, I like fezes now. And Doctor Who says fezes are cool. I think that's a little cliche, but they're pretty nifty. Well, we've certainly appreciated your work at all of its various stages for various platforms over the past years. So I think that wraps up for us. But Brian, just so people know where to find your work, where can they go to find you on the web? Etherbrian.org. And we're also going to have many links in our show notes about the topics that we discussed today, but also uh, as much as we were able to find of some of the classic stuff, uh, again, going mostly through the Wayback Machine, but as we're getting ready for this show, the, you know, the Wayback Machine can be spotty sometimes, and especially with files, it's always hit or miss whether it archives something, but there are still several of Brian's icon sets that are available for direct download from the Internet Archive and Wayback Machine. They are .sit.hqx files, um, which the .hqx part, uh, the OS X Finder will take care of for you now, but uh, there's actually still stuff at Expander for OS X. So you're able to crack open those classic icons. And to be honest, I, I still have a non-retina Mac, and they open up at 32 by 32, and they still look pretty sharp, I must say. And we mentioned those show notes. Of course, you can find the notes for this episode and all of our episodes at simplebeep.com slash episodes. On our website, you can also get in touch with us. There's a link to a contact form there. And if you would rather contact us more quickly, more informally, we are, of course, on Twitter. The show Twitter is at simple underscore beep. I'm on Twitter at ecormany, E-C-O-R-M-A-N-Y. And I'm at bsuto, B-S-U-T-O. And Brian, can people find you on Twitter as well? Uh, yes, uh, at EtherBrian. And not EtherBrain, spell it right. <laughs> <laughs> as those with the name Brian know, spell check will get you every time. Yes. It's the struggle. <laughs> Thanks again, Brian, for sharing your stories with us. Thank you and aloha.